Hello and welcome to the Christchurch Podcast. My name is Grant Caldwell and this Lenten and Easter season, I'll be joined each week by other pastors on staff as we reflect on New Life Rising, a new devotional by Christianity Today that we'll be reading together churchwide. In this podcast, we'll do as the book's introduction invites us to do, journey through the somber season of Lent, into the dark depths of Good Friday, and out into the marvelous light to Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll be led through the landscape of Jesus' homeland and the journey he walks through times of confusion, despair, and hope, and into everlasting joy. As we have these weekly conversations together through the seasons of Lent and Easter, we'll wonder and discuss what we believe needs to die in order to lead to vibrant life in our unique context of vocation and community, embracing the gift of the gospel. On today's show, we move to the second part of this devotional on Jesus' death and his darkness and chaos. Today, we're looking at the third chapter in Christianity Today's New Life Rising, entitled The Ever-Present Memento Mori. Joining me today is our Director of High School Ministries, William Merriman. William, welcome. Thanks, Grant. Glad to be here. Now, William, for two reasons. One, if anyone spent any time with you, they know that you just have this depth of wisdom from this extensive love of poetry and literature. Two, in mean, your role in high school ministry, like you have a pulse on the next generation. You have a pulse on what the youths really care about. So we have to know. Peeps, yes or no? Peeps? I got a lot of peeps. Oh, you mean like... The marshmallow peeps. We actually have peeps. If you're hearing crinkling, it's not the audio. We actually have some this week. Wow. I'm honored. Deeply honored, Grant. So for me personally, peeps, it's a big no. Okay. As a kid, I loved them, couldn't get enough of them. But it's one of those things where you eat a thousand on Easter morning and you get sick and now I just... It's done. I can't do it anymore. I'm pooped of peeps. Okay. So we have three weeks of no peeps. You might be asking at this point, three weeks into this thing, are they going to keep asking that and ask unsuspecting people about peeps? And the answer is until we find someone that really enjoys peeps, we're going to keep looking keep going. because the suspicion that I'm starting to have is, does anyone like peeps or are we just bought into... Yeah them being a part of our Easter. I want to know who is running the peep lobby because they're doing a great job of keeping these things. Excellent. Alive. They're in the front of every oh, yeah. store and I'm not sure if anyone really likes them, yeah. but we'll find we'll out. Find out. Yeah. One pastor or staff member that we interview during this podcast may be a huge fan of peeps just in hiding. Hmm. So, well, William, this chapter, there is no way to transition in a way that isn't awkward. So let's just lean into it. The ever-present memento mori, a lot of discussions about death and dying this week. The phrase memento mori is remembering that you must die. Would love to know what thoughts did this chapter stir up for you? Immediately, my mind went to stories and artwork because the best stories, the best pieces of art, they really only deal with two things, love and death. Mm -hmm. If your story or your art lacks that, then it's not going to have the kind of depth that touches the human heart. And one piece of art in particular that I thought of was this painting, this Dutch oil painting called The Ambassadors by this master. His name's Hans Holbein the Younger. And in this painting, it's not the best platform of podcast to talk about a painting, but I'll do my best to describe it. It's in the London Museum. I saw it when I was over there a few years ago. And it's giant, and it has these two aristocrats standing there, and they have everything that you could imagine with like worldly goods in this painting. 
all of these delicacies and treasures on the table and they have fancy clothes, furs. But at the bottom of this painting is this, it almost looks like a plank of wood. It's this garish kind of streak across the bottom of the painting. And if you look at it, it doesn't fit, it doesn't belong. But when I went up and got close to the painting in real life and stood under it, the artist had done this perspective thing where it was actually looked like a perfect skull. Mm that you couldn't see from one vantage point, but when you got close to it, it all came into focus. And after you saw that thing, man, you couldn't unsee it from the painting. And I feel like that's what a memento mori is. The first time you think about death or the reality of death when it hits you, you can't unsee that from your life anymore. And I was reminded of this quotation from Thomas Oden, the great ecumenical theologian. He said that, the way we face death is the key to how we face life. And so the moment we're exposed to these memento moris, from that point on, we can't unsee it. We have a choice with how we face death and live with it, and it really does determine how we live. So that's what I was thinking about. You spent time as a Wesleyan fellow with young adults yes. here. You're with high schoolers now. Have you seen Gen Z wrestling with this idea? Is this something that you're seeing especially young people avoid thinking about death? Absolutely. I think that this generation has death in their cultural memory or cultural moment more than most in, in recent history. Obviously not going back to World War One or anything like that. But Generation Z is filled with this underlying despair. I think outside of the church, this generation is wrestling with a lot of nihilism and a lot of pointlessness to life. And that comes through our TV shows that highlight suicide. That comes from just the wider pointlessness of culture as media is encroached. So I think that's one of our biggest challenges as youth ministers in this day and age is to help people see that there is meaning to this life. And we're not just here waiting until we die. Yeah, which is the counterculturalness of this entry in the devotional really is centered around this meaning. Because you've got the world believing that meaning is found through finding everything good right now. Get the best of everything as quick as you can, as fast as you can, as much as you can. And then we have the opposite. And you see on page 21, accepting and honoring the reality of death is a life-giving practice. Mm -hmm. Rather than agitate, it reassures. Rather than scare, it secures. It makes grief into a gift that provides a framework for a more fulfilled living. This is incredibly countercultural. It's not even countercultural. It almost doesn't make sense to the non-believer. How can we use this way of approaching death and grief and remember this memento mori? How can we use this to have conversations with the non-believers about the gospel? That's a really great question. Before answering it, I just, something that's really beautiful about Lent in the Orthodox traditions, especially Anglicanism, is on Ash Wednesday, they make the ashes from the crosses from last year's Palm Sunday. Mm. And so it's this idea that this symbol of death actually comes from the thing that overcomes death and we mark that on our foreheads and ash is this great symbol of something that if you use it as a fertilizer it helps bring forth new life so even in the symbols of this lenten season we see that death isn't something that is the end-all be-all for us as christians but it's something that if we submit to and go through the resurrection power that's there it's unforeseen but it just works miracles in our life but yeah taking this more evangelistically to the outside world I think that we as Christians can be more honest and more sober about death. 
We don't have to fear it because we know that on the cross death has been swallowed up, but we can grieve it and see it for exactly what it is because in the world there's a tendency to mitigate it, minimize it, or medicate it. And so try to run away from it or drown out any kind of fear of it, whether it's in like drinking or drugs or all these kind of things. But as Christians, people can look at us when we experience death or when a loved one goes through death, and we can grieve honestly, but then not lose hope. Yeah. It's almost like Jesus, when Lazarus dies, like he was the one who wept more bitterly than anyone else. Yeah. And yet he was the one who knew that new life was coming and made a way for it to happen. So I think that's like our unique approach there has the capacity for others to see that we have something different that we're holding on to. Yeah, absolutely. The grief and hope in the first Thessalonians 4 that you're alluding to, I think it's huge because we offer something different. And you said everyone's fleeing it. Everyone's not wanting to talk about it. I still remember right at the start of the pandemic, Pastor Tim Keller did, I guess everything was on Zoom then. It was like a Zoom webinar where he was talking about suffering and death. And he just talked about how modern secular culture has lost the tools to be able to have conversations about Mm -hmm. death that in our pursuit for greatness and glory we don't know what to do when death approaches and then it's only the christian that can say no no death is wrong we grieve it we hate it we fight against it but we don't do that without hope Mm. because we have the gospel we have the resurrection i mentioned the thing about stories dealing with death and even the best children's stories fairy tales are the ones that put death as the main antagonist and sleeping beauty is the one that i'm thinking of Mm -hmm. where the king and queen have this child princess aurora and they want her to live this fruitful life and never go through any kind of suffering and they invite the fairy godmothers but they don't invite maleficent the character that represents evil and demise and she finds her way and there's nothing that they can do to stop her from coming she lays a curse on the child and it's that if she touches the spinning machine that gets pricked she'll die then what do the king and queen do they destroy them all in the land except for one and when she's 16 she finds it And it's this idea that the more and more we try to repress death or forget about it or push it to the margin, we don't have that ability to control it. Mm. And yet the beauty of that story and kind of the seeds of the gospel that we see is that the good fairy godmother said, no, she's not going to die. She's going to fall asleep. And who comes back? Prince Charming, this person with love that kisses her awake, and then there's this wonderful turn, unexpected ending, this joy. And I wanted to read a quote from Tim Keller. You actually reminded me of it. He says this in Jesus the King. He says, while we've left the dance, and he's meaning he's talking about like spiritual life with God. We all long to be brought back in. The longing is embedded in the legends of many cultures. And though the stories are all different, they all have a similar theme. A true king will come back, slay the dragon, kiss us, and wake us out of our sleep of death. Rescue us from the imprisonment in the tower. Lead us back to the dance. A true king will come back to put everything right and renew the entire world. And I love that idea of Jesus, the Prince Charming, that comes back. The unbelievable thing is that Lent we're reminding ourselves that the king that we're following is a king that, again, is intentionally walking towards death and calling us to follow after him. He's blazing. I heard someone say that he's walking across shaped path and calling us to walk after that that's the king that we're following which is just again it's so countercultural that it gives us an incredible opportunity to share hope absolutely we have something else page 22 
the author talks about this idea of a kernel of wheat dying. And then the question is asked, what should we be willing to let die at this moment of history? I know we all have to answer that question personally about what needs to die. Yeah. But just specifically as you're serving as our high school director, Mm -hmm. serving in the life of our church, what are things that are coming to mind about these are the things that we really need to let die? Absolutely. It's hard to pinpoint anything in specific, but I would say a general rule to think about would be whatever you are most tempted to call mine. I think the word mine is the most dangerous word in our spiritual life. Yeah. Whatever we're holding on to and trying to control and keeping separate from our life with God, that's probably the very thing that we need to let go. Yeah. And the amazing thing about the cruciform life is whatever you let die, you really get back in the end. And that's the beauty of the gospel. But when you get it back, it's not on your terms. It's on the Lord's terms. And I'll just share a brief anecdote from my own life when this verse in particular was the thing that got me through a season of dying in my own life. This was a couple years ago. I was living in California doing a business internship. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. didn't know if I was going to go down this business tech route or if I was going to do ministry or grad school or anything. And one day towards the end of the internship, I got hurt pretty terribly. It was an accident, soccer game. I tripped and someone kicked me right in the side of the head. And after that, my whole world really got flipped upside down. It was a concussion that lasted for about half a year. But in the first couple weeks afterwards, I felt like I was that colonel being buried. I couldn't rely on my brains anymore. I couldn't rely on my work ethic. I couldn't escape life in stories or movies or anything. I was buried and I was away from home and Eventually, I just cried out to the Lord and was like, God, I feel like I am this colonel who has died. I need you to sow some new life here. And two things grew up out of it that radically changed the trajectory of my life. The first was that the only thing I could do that didn't hurt my head was write. Writing poetry, writing stories, journaling. That was the only thing that gave me freedom. And you know me, Grant, that's the thing that has really been the defining point of my life since at least we've known together. Mm -hmm. has helped me bring a lot of beauty into the world and from the pain that I've experienced. And secondly, I decided to come home. I said, I'm not going to stay out here and keep doing this thing. I need to be back with my family who can help me and support me. And right when I made that call, I got a call from someone at this church. And they said, hey, I heard you're coming back to Memphis. Do you want an internship here? And that door that opened was the thing that actually led me to experiencing a call to ministry. And it's the reason I'm here right now. And that would have never have happened if I hadn't have gone through that death and submitted it to the Lord. This is one of my life verses. Wow. It's a story that's a picture of the verse that this devotional ends with. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's the unbelievable message that life comes through death Mm. is what we're holding up all season. That's what we're holding up leading to Easter, Mm. because that's what we're going to get to proclaim, that when things were at their darkest, life was coming right around the corner. Amen. Thank you for sharing that story with us. And, And William, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Grant. It's a real honor and very thankful to share and to talk about something that is really hard, but I think is the only way that we can come to a life of flourishing. And thank you so much for listening to our discussion on Christianity Today's New Life Rising. Next week, we'll be back with a new guest looking at the fourth chapter, Dying to the Indispensable Self. Take up and read church, and we'll see you then.